my brothers and sisters in the Lord, the most popular sport in Australia is Australian football. Now, Australian football is certainly not American football. It, was, it would be more of what we would consider to be rugby. And so, in Australia, people come into the stands and they fill the stands just as they do here in the U.S. in order to watch Australian football. Well, there's a team there, and the team is called the Sydney Swans. And the Sydney Swans went through a very long streak where they didn't win any games. You can imagine that. Wasn't there that streak with the saints where people wear bags over their heads and call them the ain'ts? So this long streak that, no, they weren't winning any games, and so people didn't go to the stadium. There were less and less people in the crowds, and they were almost playing to an empty stadium. Until one day something changed. They got a new head coach, they got a few new players, and they actually started to win. And when they actually started to win one game after the other, guess what? People returned. The stands were filled. Until eventually they were on this winning streak, and you couldn't even buy tickets. It was sold out. And one day, the television camera was sort of spanning the crowd in the stands with all the revelry. And they focused on one man who was holding up a handmade sign. And this is what the sign read. I was here when no one else was. I was here when no one else was. Now, I think, my brothers and sisters, that is a wonderful image for our gospel today. Because Jesus is very familiar with fair weather fans. Those people who were there during the good times and everything's going their way, when things get a little tough, they're out the back door. The fair weather fans. And we see it in the gospel today and as the gospel has progressed over the past few weeks because today we come to the end of John chapter 6, the Bread of Life discourse. And if you remember in the beginning, when we first began reading, we started with the feeding of the multitude or the feeding of the 5,000. And as we began with that reading, we heard how Jesus met their need. He filled their tummies, multiplying the loaves and the fish. And what did they want to do? They wanted to make him king. They wanted to follow him. In fact, he went to the other side of the sea, and guess what? All the people went with him because they wanted a little bit more. They wanted their tummies to be filled. It was sort of like that old song that goes back to the 60s. I can't remember the artist, but you may know it. I will follow you wherever you may go. There isn't an ocean too deep or a mountain so high that will keep me away. That's what they were singing on their way following Jesus. Until all of a sudden, the teaching became more difficult. Where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. And we've been reading from the bread of life discourse. And today we have the question or the answer that's given by some of those who are following Jesus. They say to him, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Now my brothers and sisters, 
How many times do we do that in our own lives? This saying is hard. Who can accept it? A statement and a question. And maybe you'll say, well, Father, I believe in the real presence of Jesus on this altar, body, blood, soul, and divinity, after the words of consecration. I believe that I'm receiving Jesus. But what about the other teachings of the church? What about the other teachings of Jesus? Maybe that's more difficult for you. What about the church's teaching on sexual morality, contraception, abortion, end-of-life issues? What about Jesus' teaching about forgiveness? How many times do we forgive? Seven times? No, seven times, seven times, or 77 times. The Beatitudes. I'm sure for all of us, there's one or two things in there that we could say, this saying is hard, Lord. I don't know if I can accept it. But you see, my brothers and sisters, notice something very important about Jesus. Jesus never changes the truth. He never accommodates so that other people may feel good about themselves in the sense that, well, if you don't like this part of the truth, let me just water it down a little bit, and maybe you'll like it now. He doesn't change the form of the truth. He doesn't change the color of the truth. Because what is true and what is good and what is beautiful always remains. And that's why Jesus says even to the 12, because remember, many of the disciples returned to their former ways of life and no longer accompanied Jesus, as we read in the gospel. But he didn't change the truth in order to have the fan club. What does Jesus say to the disciples? Do you also want to leave? He asked him the question, do you also want to leave? Because the truth is not going to change. So you see, my brothers and sisters, it's a choice that we have to make as well. And all St. Peter, he responds. I love St. Peter. Because St. Peter reminds us of all of us. Some things he gets, some things he doesn't. Sometimes he's got his foot in his mouth, and sometimes he's got just the perfect words. St. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are we going to go? Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal or everlasting life. Where are we going to go? Here is St. Peter. St. Peter will deny the Lord three times in the Passion. After the death of the Lord, St. Peter returns to his fishing nets. Not sure how all this is going to work out. But St. Peter was in it for the long haul. He was committed for the long haul. And that's what Jesus calls us to, to be committed for the long haul, to believe in him who is the way, the truth, and the life, even when the teachings are difficult. Not to change them, or to reshape them, or to accommodate them to the ways of the world, but to stand firm. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of everlasting and eternal life. Because sometimes, our brothers and sisters, I believe that we like to be what I call commuter Christians. Commuter Christians. And what I mean by that is, you know, you commute to work and then you go home. So sometimes we commute over here and we're a disciple of Jesus and then we want to do something else and that may not be what Jesus exactly wants. So we commute back over here to our own way. We're commuters. We kind of go back and forth depending upon what we want to follow, what we want to do, how we want to live, etc. But the Lord doesn't need any commuter Christians. He doesn't need any fair-weather fans. He needs committed disciples for the long haul. And that's what we're called to. 
Because you see, my brothers and sisters, we must remember that in this journey of life, which is a pilgrim journey, it is a, not a sprint, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And it is a marathon because each and every day we have to be faithful to the call of God in our life. And we have to remember, my brothers and sisters, that the Lord never said it was going to be easy. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. But when we do, we will experience true joy and happiness that only Jesus can give. And that's so very important. Because sometimes you only think about it as a sprint and not as a marathon. But you see, my dear friends, just because we are disciples of Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to have hardships. Just because we're disciples of Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to get cancer. It doesn't mean we're not going to have a heart attack. It doesn't mean we're not going to have a stroke. It doesn't mean we're not going to lose our job. It doesn't mean we're not going to have relationship issues or family issues. And the list could go on and on and on. The journey is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And do we remain faithful to that? And the important part of the marathon, my brothers and sisters, if you are a runner, I probably could not physically make a marathon, but if you are a runner, they tell me this, what's so important is not necessarily how you start, but it's how you finish. And that's true about life. It's not necessarily as much as how you start, but how you finish. Because you know when we start something, we're all gung-ho. We're ready to go. We're dancing at the starting line. Think about it, anything we start in life. Our journey of faith. When you were first married. When you first had children. When you took your job and you were there for the first day. Whatever it may be. But the question is not so much how you start, but it's how you finish. Because oftentimes when the journey becomes very difficult, we don't finish very well. Because we haven't remained faithful to be like St. Paul who writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Praise God, may I now wear the crown of eternal glory. How do we finish? It's like two men who are on a little skiff in the ocean and the boat turns over and all they have is this one life preserver that they're holding on to. Middle of the ocean, these two men holding on to this life preserver. 55 hours go by, no one comes, they're still holding on. After 55 hours, one man says, I can't take this anymore, I can't do it anymore, I can't hold on anymore, and so he lets go. And he drifts into the water and he drowns. The other man says, I'm holding on, and on hour 56, the Coast Guard shows up and rescues him. You see, my brothers and sisters, that life preserver is our faith. And we have to decide, are we going to hold on? Or are we going to let go and just slip into the ways of the world? Slip into our own despair or depression or whatever it may be? Or are we going to stay faithful to the mission and ministry of the Lord? It's not as much how you start, but it's how you finish. And the only way you and I can finish, my friends, is being a people of faith. Because it's faith that sees us through. That's why St. Peter could say to Jesus, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And praise God, my friends, we can say the same thing. Do we have that kind of faith? It's like the little girl, true story, many, many years ago, this little girl was diagnosed with leukemia. And at that particular time, a diagnosis of leukemia was a death sentence. There was no cure. And this girl was dying at home by being six, seven years old. 
and she was surrounded by her parents and her other siblings and grandparents, family members and friends all around her bed and they were weeping. And this little girl looked up to them and she said, why are you weeping? I'm going to be the first in our family to see Jesus. What do you want me to tell him for you? Now, my friends, do we have that kind of faith? Because that's the kind of faith that sees us, sees us through. That's why Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, that childlike faith of total trust that God is going to provide. Do you want to leave also? Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life.